Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Hey, well, good morning, everybody. Great to be with you this morning. I trust you having a great meeting so far. We're looking forward to looking at God's Word together. You would have heard in the announcements that we spoke about the NCMR Equip, which is coming up uh, just in a couple of weekends' time. Man, I really want to encourage you. Don't just think it's for somebody else. This is exactly for you. Our theme for the Equip is going to be Kingdom Leadership. And remember that every single one of us is called to be leaders. As we look at counterculture, we're saying that very thing, that all of us are called by God to lead in the situations that He's placed us. And so Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights, we're going to have special ministry. It won't be streamed online. So you've got to come to the building uh, to be able to appreciate it. We've got guys from overseas as well as South Africa who will be ministering. And then there'll be ministry times here in the building where we can pray for each other, stir each other, prophesy over each other, and trust the Lord together. So guys, I really want to encourage you. Uh, see how many of the three you can make. Uh, make at least one. Come on now. And uh, you really, really will uh, grow and uh, it really will be good for you, especially in this year that we've had. Something to focus on and to put ourselves full of vision for the year that's ahead after our holiday season. So there's a silly story about a man who dies and is on his way to heaven. And as he arrives at heaven's gates, he kind of peeps through the gates and he sees some angels floating around on clouds, serenely plucking their harps. Then he's distracted. He hears some loud music and laughter and he turns around to see where it's coming from. And he sees another cloud. It's packed with people and they're laughing and there's loud music and it looks like they're having a party. The time of their lives. And so he abandons heaven and he jumps ship. He, he jumps from the gates onto that cloud where everyone looks like they're having such fun. But you know, as his feet touch the, 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 the cloud, he sinks straight through and he plummets all the way down right into the pit of hell. And all of a sudden he's surrounded by darkness, by great heat. He can hear audible cries of suffering. And as he turns around, he sees the devil and he says to the devil, Hey, I didn't sign up for this. The devil laughs at him and says, Oh, you're talking about the party cloud, are you? Uh, don't worry about that. That's just our marketing department. Now, <laughs> let me hasten to add quickly. Obviously, that's entirely biblically inaccurate. It's a silly story, but it has an illustration to it. Um, these days, everyone's offering so much, aren't we? So with online and social media targeted adverts, companies are famous for over-promising and under-delivering. 
Colette has been trying to lodge a return on a product we bought last year and she has sent eight emails and hasn't even had one response. She didn't just email the general uh, address, she emailed the very person who sold it to her. And uh, these days it's so easy to promise a good service, but then when you need the service, it's, it's a lot of under-delivery, uh, more than what we expect. Not only is there great advertising, but there's also social stigma attached to it these days, isn't there? If you don't subscribe to my ideas or our politically correct culture, if you don't do as we do, then I'll shun you, I'll cancel you. You know, I read a, an article a few months ago uh, about, one of, uh, about a 21-year-old uh, lady who was uh, participating in a beauty pageant. She got through to the final round and then they uncovered on social media that she had made some, uh, some unhelpful comments seven years ago. Now, let's just do the math. She's 21 now. Seven years ago, she was 14 years old. I don't know about you, but 14-year-olds don't necessarily think everything they put on social media through, right? And because of what she said, at a tender age, now as an adult, she was forced to withdraw from the competition because people said, we don't agree with the things that you said back then. Remember, it was a different world, wasn't it? Now, as we look at Jesus and the Beatitudes, he begins to introduce people into following him, but Jesus does the exact opposite. His, his offer is counter-culture to what people expect. Yes, he offers blessing, he offers peace, he offers joy, he even offers rewards in this life and in the life to come. Basically, he's saying, if you want to follow me, if you're wanting to be one of my followers, then this is the way that Jesus' followers live. You see, up front, he's setting the standard. He's not over-promising and then under-delivering. He's saying, you can follow me, but this is what it looks like. This is what I expect for you to be someone who is my follower. So how do we get to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5? We began speaking about it last week. Well, in 26 AD, uh, John the Baptist comes declaring the way. Prepare the way for the king that is coming. And then later in that year, we see Jesus is baptized, AD 26. The following year, AD 27, we read about the temptation of Jesus, Luke chapter 4. And then we see the same year, the first calling of the disciples. So Jesus begins to gather his 12 that he'll minister with. And then we come to the Sermon on the Mount. So you understand how early days it is. He's just really begun. People are slowly becoming aware of him. And before he, 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 he gathers this crowd that then think, oh, you promised us so much, but now you're spating and switching. You're turning the tables on us. At the beginning, he says, if you want to follow me, then this is the life that you will live. Byron Yorn, there's a name for you, says that these beatitudes are like laser-guided bombs into the culture that Jesus was speaking into. Remember, he gathered some Jewish-speaking people onto the hills outside Jerusalem, and he gave this discourse, this uh, longest discourse, chapters 5 to 7. And Byron says, these are devastating statements that turn Jesus' culture on its ear completely. It's not what they expected to hear at all. He takes aim at all of their prized virtues and their worldview. 
They aren't platitudinal. They are detonated on the culture. You see, his hearers expected him to say something like this. You are Abraham's descendants and yours is the kingdom of God. You're a Jew. You're special by birth, by nationality and by race. Therefore, you fit into a special category. They believed in self-righteousness because of who they were. And Jesus says, no, it's actually for broken people, for those who recognize their need of God. He didn't say it's for Abraham's descendants. He didn't say for Jews or for Pharisees. He didn't even say it's for good people or moral people or people that are respected in society. Rather, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, the kingdom is for broken people. These are the ones that inherit the kingdom of God. And I love it again. It's not, not just you gain a possession, but when you inherit, you are adopted into the family. You gain what is from the family. The inheritance, I become an heir of, not just a participant or an owner. And so Jesus' audience is sitting here, <laughs> having learned what they've learned from their culture and their upbringing, even their religious experience, as you and I all do. Every person on the face of the earth learns as we grow, right? They've had their traditions and then Jesus drops this grenade and it touches every nerve in the audience because every single one of them Beneath the facade of their life, they realize that they are actually poor in spirit. It's the Beatitudes, Byron Yorn says, that get Jesus killed. That's how radical these statements are. He exposes the self-righteous, self-sufficiency of man, and he dies in our place. Remember that Jesus was a radical and everything he says is radical. And you and I, if we are born again, we are called to live an equally radical life. But the amazing thing is Jesus was never wild. He was never reckless. He is deliberate and measured in his countercultural living. You know, in John chapter 2, verse 15, when Jesus empties the temple because they turned it into a flea market where people should be worshipping, it says, so he made a whip out of cords and he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. You see, he was deliberate. He didn't just go crazy. He took his time. He got some rope and he made a whip and he strategized and then he cleared the temple, but deliberately and on purpose, not just went off his head. In, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 11, the governor at his trial says this to him are you the king of the jews a dangerous statement to answer and jesus again in perfect understanding and deliberateness he says you have said so jesus is radical but he's never rash he chooses his moments he says things on purpose he lives deliberately even when they are counter to the culture of the day and if you and I would be his followers, then we should live up these beatitudes and live the same way. <laughs> you can find it on YouTube. There's a movie which was made in about the 1970 or so called Cross and the Switchblade. Um, <laughs> it's, quite a, it's quite funny to see how the films went those days. Um, it's a story of a preacher who goes into the gangs of New York and witnesses at risk of his life. And there's a little uh, moment that happens with one of the gang leaders called Nicky Cruz. 
And uh, the gang leader says to him, he says, You come near me, preacher, and I will kill you. And David Wilkinson answers the preacher. He says, Yeah, you could do that. You could cut me up into a thousand pieces and lay them in the street. And every piece would still love you. Do you see the radical counterculture expectation that followers of Jesus live under? Many of us, because we told someone that Jesus loves them and they swore at us or they threatened to do us in, we would go off in a, in a, in a self-sanctified holy tiff, wouldn't we? I told my boss, God bless him, and he gave me extra work. Who does he think he is? But a B-attitude living believer, follower of Jesus, would respond like David Wilkinson. Yes, there may be consequences for me living in a counter-cultural way. But I'll accept the consequences because it's who I am and who Jesus expects me to be. To willingly offer my life to live a different way. Not uh, 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 complicated, not, not uh, assimilated into the culture of the day where we choose our words, we try not to offend. But deliberately saying what God wants us to say when we need to say it. It's the same kind of counter-cultural attitude that Jesus invited his hearers into. He said, if you want to be born again, then your life will look like this. So let's read Matthew chapter 5 from verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say falsely all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way you persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now I challenged us last week to see if we can remember this passage. And then you can call it to memory and allow God to minister you to you wherever you are. Maybe in the comments you can, you can let us know if you've managed yet or if you've got a few lines in. It would be great if by the end of these next few weeks we could carry this passage of scripture in our hearts, wouldn't it? And so number one, Jesus says, blessed are the meek. And someone said that these are not the do attitudes, but they are the be attitudes. In other words, meaning that it's not what we need to do out of some sense of duty or legalism. If I'm a Christian, I have to do the following. No, that's not what Jesus invites us into. Rather, he says, if you want to follow me, then you should become, you should be like this. And so that word meek is such a complex and, and difficult word to understand in our English language. It's the Greek word praus, and it speaks of being humble. It speaks of power under control. But more than just our own power under our own control, it actually speaks of power under God's control, being yielded to the directing of God. It's an attitude of spirit where we accept His dealings with us as good without disputing or resisting. We can translate that word meek as humility. One who is humble, who has strength, but chooses to remain humble. 
The Passion Translation translates verse 5 and 6 like this. What a blessing comes on you when gentleness lives in you, for you will inherit the earth. How enriched you are when you crave righteousness, for you will be surrounded with fruitfulness. The message paraphrase puts it this way. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you worked up a good appetite for God, His food and drink, the best meal you'll ever eat. And so we can translate this word meek as the, as the word humility. It's the word humble. And uh, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice this is not something that you and I put on. It's a fruit of the, of the Holy Spirit working in us. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, it tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Here we have the word gentleness and self-control. Against this, there is no law. And so many of us think that, that meekness is weakness. It's not. It's strength under God's control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Notice that word, gentle. It's the same word that is translated in the Beatitudes as meek. The same word. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you want to be meek, you need to rely on the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit in you, the resulting evidence would be that you and I are able to discipline ourselves, to control our strength and follow Jesus. I want to uh, just draw your attention that we have gentleness and then the next fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And so when we speak about meek or gentleness, we're not talking about self-control. That's another fruit. We're talking about strength under the control of Jesus Christ. For the, for the Christian, meekness is about surrendering everything to God and being at His disposal. Think it through. Remember Jesus, He was prophesied in advance that people would hate Him. They would strike Him and they'd punish Him. And like a sheep to be slaughtered, He would be silent in the face of His enemies. I find this so hard. I find it difficult to be meek unless I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life because I want to defend myself. I want to stand up for myself. I want to say, no, this is not right. But Jesus proves the way to live. He kept his mouth shut. He, he stood up for others. But he willingly took on the punishment for the world that he could set us free. Meekness means we will willingly pay the price for others to meet Jesus. You see, gentleness or meekness is the opposite to self-assertedness and self-interest. It stems from a trust in God's goodness and control over the situation. You see, number two, meekness is countercultural. Even as I'm speaking, I'm sure you're getting uncomfortable. I'm sure you're saying, yes, Craig, but you don't know my circumstance. I don't, but Jesus does. And, and so as we look at this counterculture series on the Beatitudes, it's so tricky. I know. <laughs> I get it. So tricky to live this way because it doesn't come naturally and our society today does not under, uh, doesn't value it. But rather Jesus does. Meekness is countercultural and Jesus calls his followers to live in a countercultural way. It's a chosen behavior. You see, Jesus says those who want to be part of his kingdom... They need to be like this. They are not proud and powerful. They are not reliant on their own ability. They are yielded. 
They are not subject to emotions and feelings and, and, and running off and being wild. Like I said, they're deliberate. They're able to champion the needs of the weak and oppressed, deliberately taking on the cost that will come as we stand up for those that maybe others wouldn't stand up for. A meek person is one not needing recognition by anyone else than Jesus. So we said, blessed is blessed are the meek. We've said that meekness is countercultural. The third thing I want to say is that meekness is part of the call of Jesus to his followers. It's part of the call. It's a big deal. You see, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound good at this stage of this crazy year? I mean, I just read it and I think, Oh, Jesus, I need your rest. I want to come to you because I've got burdens, Lord, don't you? Verse 29, it says, Take my yoke on me, on you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You notice that word gentle? It's our same word we're dealing with. Meek, humble, gentle. The same word. It's my strength under God's control. And you see, part of the call of God, come to me, all you are burdened and weary. Come to me because I am gentle. Take my yoke. In other words, become like me. Meekness is part of the call of God on our lives. You see, meekness is such a powerful thing. That's why it's part of God's call. In James chapter 3, it says, When we put bits in the mouth of horses, we can make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal or take ships, for example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. You and I have such power, such ability that God can use. But if we will disallow him to control us so subtly, so spirit-led, man, he can cause us to do amazing things. It's like a horse with a bridle and a ship with a rudder. God leading us can accomplish powerful things. Matthew Henry says, The meek are happy. The meek are those who quietly submit to God, who can bear insults, who can keep silent, who can return a soft answer. That's a tough one, isn't it? who in their patience keep possession of their own souls when they can scarcely keep possession of anything else. Finally, I want to come to, well, what then are the characteristics of the meek? We said meek is countercultural. We said meek is part of the way we follow God and live like one who follows Him. We said meek is part of the call of God on our lives. But what then does someone who is meek look like? Well, first of all, someone who's meek is teachable. You know, I think these days, and I don't know if it's because everyone's a research expert because of Google and, 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 and social uh, opinions and everyone knows everything about everything, but very few people are teachable. Very few people are willing to let other people speak into their lives. A teachable person is someone who's meek, who's willing to keep their strength under God's control. Remember last week we said it's the poor in spirit that inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because they are willing to accept others' help. Someone who's meek is teachable. I wonder if you're teachable. Are you willing to learn from anyone who's led by Jesus? Not so proud. Oh, I've been in this church for how long? Or I, I've been at this job for this amount of time? Or I'm such an expert in this area. No one can tell me a thing or two. 
No, no, no. You see, a meek person is a teachable person, willing to learn, because we learn forever as Jesus leads us. The second thing is, a meek person is a patient person. <laughs> I told you these were countercultural, right? Patience doesn't come naturally, right? A meek person is a patient person. Where do we get our patience from? Patience comes from understanding that God is in control. You see, a meek person knows that I am under the control, the leadership of Jesus. I'm yielded to him. If he leaves me here for a short or a long period of time, God is in control. I will patiently wait and watch for the Lord to work in my situation. The third characteristic of someone who is meek is that they trust God. Such a challenge today for us to trust ourselves and to hesitate to trust God. It doesn't make sense, right? God made me. He, he should be greater than me. <laughs> the Bible says that the clay can't say to the potter, you know, let me tell you how to do things. No. Characteristic of the meek is that they trust God. That we have peace because we know God is in control. Friends, this morning, can I encourage you, just where you are, take a moment and say, God, whew, I'm trusting you that you are in control of this situation that's plaguing me, these dreams, these challenges, these wrestles, these anxieties. I'm trusting you that you are in control. Will you do that? Finally, this is an interesting one. Someone who's meek is someone that is present in the moment. Present in the moment. You see, when we are wild, when we are uh, 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 taken up by our passions or our, our embarrassment or in our drive to stand up for ourselves, the opposite of Jesus, remember, counterculture, Jesus was deliberate, not wild. And when you and I will allow God to, to, to control our strength, when we will be meek, humble and yielded to Jesus, it means we can be present in the moment because we're not getting dragged away by our emotions or our embarrassment. We're present in the moment. We're not caught up by defending our cause. It means we can look to the other one whose cause is, is being punished. We consider it of the other person as a human being. You see, when someone challenges you, you want to respond in defense. But when we are meek, we hold ourselves back. We can see the person behind the challenge. We can understand they're a human being too. We can consider them from their point of view as a human being and love them whether we agree with them or not. Finally, we can be present to the moment because we have the presence of mind to look for an opportunity for the gospel. Who cares who, who wins the argument? Really, what we should care about is that that is a person who Jesus died for and he loves and he wants to bring to himself. You see, when we are, when we are meek, you can be in the worst board meeting of the entire year. You can be strategizing how to keep your company going. And in the moment, instead of having all these emotions rising, you can understand that even those people that seem to be adversaries are loved by God and need your help in that moment. And so poor in spirit, which we spoke about last week, changes the way we look at others. It's hard to judge other people when we realize that we've done the same to Jesus. It's hard to be superior to others when we realize that even our sanitized achievements make us no better in His eyes. I can offer Him nothing. It shows me, it helps me understand that others need God too. But when we look at blessed are the meek, it changes the way we respond to others. 
It allows us to trust Jesus' Lordship in a charged moment. It gives us strength to allow Jesus to fight our cause. Jesus to fight our cause. I don't have to get argumentative. I don't have to uh, rally and, and, and box other people. I can allow Jesus to fight my call. And it turns opposing worldviews into opportunities for the gospel. So how then should we live? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit. How then should we live if we are going to be meek? Number one, he has our homework Things that you and I can do. Number one, choose to live in a place of humility. Even if we're under, even if we're misunderstood, overlooked, even if we're taken advantage of for His sake. Number one, choose to live in a place of humility. Number two, become spirit-led. In other words, controlled by God. Can I use that word? No one wants to be controlled. Surely we should be yielded to God. Allow Him to control our lives. <laughs> Matthew Henry says, the meek are those that quietly submit to God. They can bear insult. They can keep silent. They can return a soft answer in the face of wrath. Live in the place of humility. Become spirit-led. And finally, number three, look for the God opportunities. They're all over if we'll just look for those moments, right? Place ourselves at Jesus' disposal. Friends, the reason why we're looking at counterculture is because our culture is pervasive today. Everyone has opinion how I should live. It's becoming more and more difficult to not go along with the politically correct, with the opinion of the crowd today. But I believe that you and I can stand for Jesus in a countercultural way and bring His peace and opportunities for the gospel. I'm praying for you for this week that you would learn to follow Jesus as one who is meek, who would be humble, who would allow him to lead you in every situation and then look for the God opportunities. Let him use you even in those countercultural moments. God bless you.